Welcome to Effortless Swimming, the podcast for swimmers, triathletes, and coaches. Join Australian swim coach Brenton Ford as he reveals the latest techniques and information to improve your swimming. Let's dive right in. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. My guest today is a friend of mine, Kevin Koskala from Try Swim Coach. And Kevin's been on the podcast uh, before and we actually caught up about a month ago in San Diego when I was there. Um, so Kevin, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Brent. It's good to be here. And uh, there's a couple of things I want to talk about today. Uh, so if you're a triathlete listening in, then uh, we're going to talk about a few different ways that you can uh, get faster, find some improvement in your swimming. Um, and Kevin, you also run a podcast called the Tri Swim Coach podcast. And uh, I want to talk about some of the takeaways that you've had from guests who have been on your show because you've had some pretty high profile guests and um, I th- you're, you're up to episode number 100 now. Is that right? Yeah, it's about 100, I think. I, I forget. I think we're close to it. So, yeah, I mean, you've had a lot of, lot of guests on the podcast. So, um, do you want to talk about some of the, um, the people you've had on and, and some of the, the, the best things you've sort of uh, got out of them? Yeah, absolutely. So, I, when I do interviews, I try to mix it up between people that are kind of high profile, like professional triathletes and coaches, like famous kind of coaches, and then just people that are doing triathlons that are more at the amateur level that, you know, can talk about their experiences and some of the challenges they have. And yeah, I've learned a ton from, from everyone. And, uh, so yeah, I, I think that, um, one of the, the, when I look back at all the people I interviewed, um, I, you know, some of the, the funnest interviews are the open water swimmers. So like Lynn Cox, who's got so many records and has done just some amazing, amazing things in the open water, like, swimming in Antarctica and, uh, swimming across the, the Bering Strait and all this, all this stuff. And, you know, talking to her is, and she's such a nice person and just her stories and everything was just, um, really, really interesting to be able to talk to her. And she's sort of famous in the open water, uh, swimming world. So it was nice to be, have the podcast to be able to get her and other, other high profile people on. But, um, and as far as coaching goes, uh, I've had, so one of the uh, people that I met through my podcast was Sheila Tormina, and I learned a ton from her because before, I think before I met her, I wasn't as focused on the pull in freestyle, but her entire teaching is it's centered around the freestyle pull. And because she's only five foot two, and when she was in the Olympics back in like 1996, she was competing with women that were six foot. And she's a, she's a freestyle. I mean, she does several events, but one of them is freestyle. And so she's able to explain how she was able to compete at this high level with people that were so much taller than her and, and even doing like the sprint and middle distance races um, at her height. So uh, that and that can be applied to everybody because most people that you and I, Brent, are are kind of talking to are not the professionals or the elite athletes. They're more either kind of beginner level or intermediate sort of middle of the pack type people. And uh, they can learn so much from her. So um, what I got was that the pull is is vitally important in swimming. And, uh, you know, to develop that high elbow catch is the one of the most important things you can do. So, so you know, having talked to her, just getting all her information and everything, I, I incorporated a lot of that into my training. And, um, yeah, and, and just, just having uh, a few other a few other folks on that, that had either competed at, you know, some of the high levels of triathlon or that coached some of these people like, um, Gary Hall senior, I had on, I think a couple months, a few months ago. And it, just, it was just amazing being able to talk to him because I grew up, I knew who he was. I mean, he was a, he was an Olympian, I think back in the seventies. And, uh, so he was, to me, he's kind of like a famous guy 
And I know he's doing some incredible things out in Florida with, with some of his athletes. And he focuses more on like the age group swimming, like, um, sprint, you know, kind of sprint in middle distance, like 200 meters, 400 meter swimmers and that kind of thing. But, but uh, he knows an incredible amount about stroke technique. And there's a lot of things that I picked up on that interview that, uh, are just like, they're kind of like extras with swimming, but it's so interesting how, you know, you can, you can do things with stroke count and with different tools in the water that can really make you a faster swimmer. And so that, yeah, that was a pretty impressive uh, interview as well. But, but, you know, again, it's like the, the amateurs gave, uh, have given me a lot too, because, you know, it's like I can learn from what they're telling me in terms of what they're struggling with or what was working for them. You know, like I just talked to someone the other day that was like, yeah, I always start, I always wait till, um, this, the pack kind of goes and then I wait like five seconds and then I get in the water. And, you know, that's something that a lot of people would never think of. And they just go in with a pack and they get, just get totally crushed and it kind of kills their race. So yeah, there's a, there's a kind of a variety of, uh, topics and, and people that I've, that I've learned from. Yeah. And that's, um, what you're saying about learning from all different levels of swimmers and triathletes. I mean, that's, that's how I kind of learn what, tends to work um with the clinics that you run so when someone comes back to me a few weeks after they've been to a clinic and they they say oh look i've I've, I've, i did my next race and i swam this much quicker and and this is what i focused on and this is what helped or this is what worked for me then like just using those those things and just feeding that back into the clinics more and what and what i teach i find that that really helpful And, and a lot of times i think with people who are very new to swimming a lot of it tends to be like just the fundamentals, just the basics of, of swimming. So, you know, you, you start with with posture and then just making sure they've got the right head position and, and alignment with their entry and their extension. And, and just really going back to basics because someone who's only been in the sport two years and they're an adult, they've never been taught just those very basic things. But a lot of times, you know, if you, if you just keep it simple, that's what's easy to implement and that's what's easy to remember when you train, when you race, and that's how you can sort of make it a part of your your stroke after a few weeks of practice and um and then with the, i guess the more high level guys like gary hall senior and um and sheila tiamo how do you say Tia, uh, <laughs> yeah it's a tough one it's uh, tormina tormina so she i mean she's got a great book out swim speed secrets which um uh which you can get on kindle i think as well as hard copy and, and for anyone listening that's a, a really good resource to um find more details out about the the pool that that you're talking about and i mean I've, I've learned some really good stuff from from her as well i mean one of my favorite things that she teaches is um as you enter the water uh, so you bring your arm over the top fingertips hit the water then basically just straighten your arm out or almost slap the elbow down on top of the water and that just gives you that the drive out the front to to sort of keep that momentum going into the water and i've never heard it explained that way where you're almost slapping the elbow down and when you come to think of it, you can actually hear good swimmers when they're swimming, you can actually hear their elbow almost slapping on the water there. And, and that's usually a difference between a, a good swimmer and someone who's, who's not quite as quick. So she's got some really, I guess, different insights into the stroke that, uh, yeah, that I'd, I'd never sort of heard before. So she, um, yeah, she's got a lot of really good stuff. And then, I mean, same with Gary Hall Senior, he's, you know, mostly coaching pool swimmers, but he you know there are a lot of differences between someone who's doing triathlon swimming compared to someone who's swimming a 100 freestyle and um and seeing those differences 
from you know from how you should sort of teach or explain things is um is really interesting and you know and as you grow and develop as a coach it's it's good to have that wide range of knowledge so that when you're working with all these different athletes it's it's not just the same information you can tailor it to whatever their goals are right yeah exactly that's the thing that i think you and i do that a lot of people don't do is that uh, a lot of swim coaches out there will just kind of get narrowed in on one method of teaching and try to apply it to everyone and every everything they come across. And uh, that's where it pays to be open and, and to be looking at what other people are saying and not take it as competition, but take it as like these people have something to offer. And there's, I mean, there's a lot of good coaches out there, but you know, I don't look at any one of them as, as the, as the one guru that knows everything. And I think that's kind of how you approach it too. And that's where, you know, it, yeah, it does, it does pay off and one size doesn't fit all. Uh, but there are some, some definite, uh, parts of swimming that that are you can apply to to just about everyone especially the the stuff that, that sheila teaches because in in her book it's you know one thing i was going to mention about her book too is that it's swim speed secrets so it's uh you know people always come to me like oh i want to go faster and you know maybe they're beginner level and they just need to get their stroke in place but they're saying they want to go faster but really that's the fastest way is to focus on the technique and then build it build it from there yeah absolutely and especially if someone is around the you know around the two minutes per hundred um, pace. Then technique is really all you should be focusing on. You know, of course, there's an element of fitness there, but um, if you're around the sort of two minutes or, or slower per hundred, then you know t- technique is what is stopping you from going quicker. And um, and there's and a lot of times it's just um, you know body position and and just some basic sort of balance drills that can help swimmers. Um, you know, get to that that place. And I mean, techniques obviously really important. And what are some other things that you would look at to help swimmers find improvement in their swimming? So, what outside of technique would you suggest um, swimmers work on? Well, the one thing that I've gotten really big on the last few years, I, I actually interviewed a guy named uh, what's his name again, <laughs> Brian McKenzie. He's uh, he's the guy. He does CrossFit endurance. So, you know, a lot of everyone probably that's listening here knows what CrossFit is. And he tailors those kind of workouts, those CrossFit type workouts to endurance athletes. And some of them are, some of his people are triathletes. And I kind of looked at, you know, I interviewed him and I looked at what he does. And, you know, it is obviously a combination of strength training, but the, the stuff that he does in the pool is pretty basic. It's not like in the back in the 80s, like when I grew up, it was, it was all about like massive yardage. And just doing doing uh, so many laps in the pool, and we just killed ourselves, and that's probably why I have shoulder problems today. But <laughs> um, but he's his thing was really focused, and the the strength workouts that they do are for endurance kind of activities, not so much for bulking up or doing the sprint stuff. But there's a lot of sprinting involved in the in the workouts. So once a week, you're doing some all out sprints. And that's something that I, I used to do that a little bit. I used to coach that way a little bit, but uh, over the last couple of years, I've been way more interested in, and, and, uh, teaching this, you know, kind of sprint type workout. So we'll do like sets, like maybe it's, uh, eight or so let's say six, two hundreds. And the two hundreds are done at kind of a moderate to hard pace, but you get a lot of rest and then you do a sprint 50 in between. So the idea is not to uh, try to make the interval, but to get as much rest as you need and to be going all out in those 50s. So and th- that type of training is um, you get a lot of bang for your buck. It's, it's that um, high intensity training. And that's something that I've really incorporated 
a lot lately. And then also strength training is it, it strength training is something I've always believed in, but it's changed a little bit over the years. Um, like now I'm more, I, I like using bands and elastic tubing, that kind of thing. The stuff that you can do easily with body weights, you don't have to go to the gym necessarily to do, uh, that's, that can add, you know, that can get you from like, if you're kind of a middle of the pack type of swimmer and you're, you're really working on your technique and you've got a lot of, you've made a lot of improvements. The next level I think is to do, just to start doing some, some bands and, and elastic tubing, because that's, that's not only going to help your strength. It's also going to help you get the right pull. Like it, we can do exercises that kind of force you to do that high elbow pull. So there's a lot of benefits there, there too. Yeah, that I mean, that's pretty much what we follow as well. Is um, when we're looking at uh, helping someone get quicker. All right, have a look at what they're doing with their stroke. Have a look at what they're doing in their training, and have a look if they're doing any strength training because it's uh, you know they're they're really the three major things that that someone needs to to start to get quicker. And I mean, with the training, I like to keep it fairly simple. Like it sounds like you do too. And um, with you know, for a triathlete who would come to me. Most of the workouts that I would give them would would involve some sort of um, uh, you know a, a few variable pace type things and and sp- that speed work is one of them and allowing yourself to have enough rest to actually go at at a really high intensity it's that sort of age old uh, mistake that that people make is that you know that the fast work isn't is done too slow and the slow work is done too fast so yeah. in you know, in a lot of workouts. Um, at least when I was training for Ironman, I sort of broke it down into at least one workout a week would be a, a long one of about 6K and it would all just be very low heart rate, strength-based work with pull, pa- with pull boy paddles. Um, and then probably two sessions a week would be, the main set would be threshold work or CSS work um, for those that sort of go by that, where you're almost swimming at, at race pace, but you're breaking it down into either hundreds or, or 200. So it might be something like, um, eight 200s at threshold with 20, 30 seconds rest in between, but just getting comfortable with that race pace. And then, yeah, another session a week would usually be technique with some just all out sprinting somewhere in there. So I'd normally do something like for the speed work, I was doing 10 fifties, 25 all out and then 25s from through easy, but just making sure that speed work was, was as fast as I could go. And that that alone is really good for that strength development um, that you want when you're swimming because if you're just doing mm-hmm. that, the really sort of easy stuff, you never really get that um, that all-out effort where your body has to adapt to to the intensity there. So, I mean, yeah, just keeping it really simple with those three sorts of workouts. I, I got really good results from, and uh, when I was coaching my master's squad, we did some you know, pretty much this, the same sort of thing. And, um, and again, just got, got good results with, with that. And then with strength training, I mean, you can look at someone swimming and you can tell whether or not they've got the strength they need to be able to, um, to, be able to hold a, a fast pace for a half Ironman or a full Ironman distance swim. And you know, if, if, you're not, if you can't do a chin-up, then that's kind of a good indicator as to do, you know, should you be doing some more strength work as part of your, your training. And I know you've had Chris Ritter, the, the strength coach, um, on your podcast and so have I. And um, yeah. I, got a, I got a great feedback from, from that from a lot of listeners who went and downloaded his, um, uh, his, his e-book and some of the, the videos that he's got about getting to that stage where you can do at least one chin-up and, uh, and progressing from there. Because, yeah, as, it doesn't matter if you're a triathlete or a swimmer, just having the core strength, the upper body strength to be able to pull yourself through the water 
you know, for, for that long. It's just so important. And if you're used to sitting, you know, sitting in the car, sitting at a desk all day, um, you know, then you're not really using your, your upper body as much as um, what you probably need to. So adding that into your program, even if it's 20, 30 minutes, two times a week, it can have a huge, um, a huge uh, advantage for, for your swimming. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one thing you said I wanted to, to go back to, you were saying that pe- a lot of people train too hard when they're supposed to be going slower and too slow when they're going supposed to be going fast. I, that's something that um, I, I interviewed Mark Sisson of Mark's Daily Apple uh, like a month ago, and he's got a lot on that. Like he talks about this 180 formula that sort of uh, it, it sort of allows you to train at the rate that you need to be to get it to be to get fit. And you know, everybody wants to be fit. You don't necessarily, you know, you, it's hard to go fast if you're not fit. So he has this this 180 formula, and um, that seems to work really well for. Because a lot of triathletes are kind of type A and they want to go fast. They just want to go hard all the time. And you can't because especially if you're training for like a half Ironman or an Ironman, it's, it's just, it's going to kill your body. So, uh, so that, that type of slowing down and then training, you know, he talks about the, the fat burning zone as opposed to the uh, carbohydrate burning zone and how important that is. I mean, all those things together are, you know, really, it's going to lead to having more fun in the sport and doing better. And then lasting longer. So, what else is there, really? Yeah, and I mean, in terms of lasting longer, um, I was watching a good video on. Do you do you watch much UFC, much MMA? You, no, I, I'm not a not not a fan. <laughs> so the um, Conor McGregor, who's probably the biggest star there, he he was doing some work with um, a guy called uh, Ido Portal or Ido Patel, and he's basically just a he's a movement guy. And so I was watching this video with him on, on YouTube. Um, What's it called? It's called London, London something. But um, basically, this, this, what this guy teaches is that you know we just don't move much these days, and we're so um, we're so sedentary that um, our body just isn't being put through these motions that it needs to be to remain mobile, to stay healthy and fit and strong. And right. so he just, he runs these, these classes or these clinics and he just takes people through all these different movements and, and trains the body to be familiar with all of these, these new, um, new movements that you put it through. And he's just got some really sort of basic movement stuff, I guess, similar to what, you know, what we would teach in a clinic with these sort of basic fundamental, um, drills and, and movements. He's kind of got that with, with what he does. And it's just, um, it's just really good for making sure the body, uh, you know, can do just do these basic movement patterns. That you know, if if you can't do that, then it just means that, you know your hips, your lower back, all of that's just going to be really tight. And I see that a lot when we run the clinics because we do some uh, some mobility tests to see uh, if swimmers can get into the right position in the water. And probably four out of five uh, of the people who come to the clinics can't can't get into the right position. Um, based on this mobility on these mobility tests and uh, so it just takes just takes a bit of work to get the body back into those positions and you know, whether it takes six weeks eight weeks of um, of, of stretching or, or putting your body through these these different um, movements it's it just makes such a difference when you get in the water because you know you can I can usually see how mobile someone is with these tests I'll know what they'll be looking like when they're they're swimming because if you just haven't got the range of motion, Especially through the shoulders and the and the back, it's very hard to um, to achieve the right technique that um, that we teach. So you know, sometimes it's just about getting back to basic movement patterns. 
Yeah, that's awesome. I, I'd love to check that out if you can post it in the maybe in the show notes for this for this podcast. Yeah, yeah, we'll do. It's um, yeah, just just a really interesting way to think about it, and and just in terms of longevity, especially. I mean, I did. I've done one Ironman now, and you know, I trained for nine months, whatever it was. And I mean, my body was was pretty shattered from it. Like I, it was just you know sore lower back and all of that sort of stuff. And I know I probably didn't do enough stretching and and mobility work to to deal with all of it. But if someone is doing that for 10, 15 years plus, then it's you know, your body's going to take a beating. So just to be able to look after it so that by the time you get to your 50s, 60s, 70s, that you can still move properly. You know, I think it's just so, so important for that, the longevity yeah. of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and on, I guess, injuries, um, you, you've had um, a few sh- shoulder issues for the last two years or so. So um, can you talk a little bit about that and what you're doing to replace or to still get your, your fix for swimming now that you can't swim at the moment? Yeah. So I've had going on about two years, I've had some shoulder issues and it, it's hard to pinpoint exactly what started causing the shoulder injuries because, um, you know, since college I've kind of gone off in and out of master swimming and triathlon and, you know, I've done uh, various things, but I, I, I really, you know, since then I haven't really done a ton of, you know, heavy duty training, so, but it was like two, like around, uh, in the summer, a couple of years ago, I started training with the Boulder masters and I was up there and it's Boulder masters is like most people there are like professional triathletes. And so I was, I was doing a lot of distance. Uh, I was keeping up with these guys like, um, oh man, uh, now I blanked on his name. One of the pros, he was swimming there and I was, I was keeping up with these guys and, you know, old man and I, ha- I hadn't been swimming in like a year but I really enjoyed that because it was like a good motivational thing to get to the pool and, and work out. I had no shoulder pain that, that summer. And then kind of slowly over the next few months, I, I kind of just stopped swimming for whatever reason, got busy with other things. And, uh, and then my shoulders started kind of tightening up, but you know, for a while I didn't really think much of it. I just did a little more stretching and, and stuff like that. And, um, but then it got to the point where it started hurting with various things like, uh, you know, certain movements, like moving my arm back would start to hurt. And so then I started doing like physical therapy for it. And, um, you know, not a lot of success with physical therapy. It was a lot of exercises that seemed like the right thing, but they weren't really helping much. So then I, I kind of bounced around from different, you know, to try to get these shoulders, uh, back to normal. I went to chiropractors, I went to massage therapists, I did some, uh, ART work, active release therapy, and a couple other people and, you know, some things would work for a while and then it would just sort of go back and I'd just be spending a ton of money on whoever it was. And, uh, so over that, over the course of time, of course, I eventually stopped swimming altogether. And, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it really forced me to get out and do other things. Um, and you asked me what, what I've done to replace swimming in the meantime, because I definitely want to get back to swimming because it was, it's been my exercise for, you know, ever since I was like eight years old, I've been, you know, that's been one of my main forms of exercise. So, um, I do, uh, a few things now I do a lot more walking than I used to, which I think is a really good thing because I used to sit at my desk all day and then maybe go for a swim, but I wouldn't really move much at all beyond that. So now I'm like, I'm constantly going for little walks and moving, like moving as much as I can. Sounds like your dog's uh, <laughs> yeah, he's uh, keeping the uh, the bad guys at bay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> protecting you. That's good. Um, yeah, so so I do a lot more just just walking, moving my body because I feel like that is 
uh, that's one of the most important things, you know, keeping, keeping the movement going. And, uh, I do some yoga. I just started doing restorative yoga, which is like, it's nothing like the vinyasa yoga that most people know about. It's very much, it's slow and the movements aren't, sometimes you don't even really feel the movement, but for my shape, the, what I'm dealing with, it's like, it's perfect. So that kind of thing really helps. And then, um, I do some, a little bit of running, but not much. And then I do, uh, I do some weights the whatever I can handle in the gym, uh, doing that. And then as far as like overall health, I'm really watching my nutrition. Like I, I, I did some blood tests just to make sure I was on the right track with everything. And I went to a naturopathic doctor and got all these results and, you know, everything was pretty good, but, um, but I'm taking a few supplements and, you know, making sure that, that I'm eating the right things and, and keeping everything good. But I also do the one, one other thing that I do about once a week, I go out to the beach here and run sprints. And I really believe that that is one of the keys to kind of keeping your energy up. And then also, um, I noticed that when, before I wasn't doing, I wasn't doing that. And then I did the blood test, um, after I'd done a couple of sprint, just like a few sprints on the beach, like, um, did, did my blood test again and my testosterone went up significantly. And I really attribute that to these high intensity workouts. So that's just another reason why I'm so into the, the high intensity training. I think it's, it's key, but you can't, you can easily overdo it. So, cause they're, it's really difficult. You think like you're going out to run a few sprints and if you get, if you, if your ego starts to get in the way, you're probably going to hurt yourself because it, it's easy to get tired out in like two or three sprints. And people don't really realize that when you're used to doing like 50, hundred mile bike rides and you go out to, and you don't sprint at all. And then you go out to sprint. It's a whole different set of uh, muscles you're using. It's a, it's a, it's completely different. And you, well, the best thing to do is to start out with just one or two at the beginning and then just build from there. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I've pretty much done yeah, very similar things to that. I mean, once or twice a week, I'll, there's some hills near my place. They're only short. They, it takes me about 25, 30 seconds to run up them. But I'll do five or six hill sprints and then just a like a 2K run down after that. And the whole workout might only be 25 minutes of, of actual running. But five or six sprints and I'm done. And I think yeah, just um, just doing that once or twice a week, um, yeah, it, it, it's just good. It just, you just feel really good after it. And, um, and I think I mentioned on the podcast a few months ago, there was a, uh, a program here in the States called, uh, oh, it's, it's escaped me now. Um, what's it called? It's not Four Corners. There's, there, anyway, there's another program. I'll, I'll see if the name comes to me. But basically they did, a th- I think, an hour episode on high-intensity interval training. And mm-hmm. um, they had a few scientists and doctors on and, uh, and basically just talking about the, the benefits of, of, the, of high intensity training and uh, the presenter of the program, I think for eight or 12 weeks, she worked out three times a week for 20 minutes. And all she did was basically, basically hill sprints. Um, and it was only, you know, only a couple of them at a time. And she, after 12 weeks, she ended up losing quite a bit of weight. She looked a lot better, looked a lot healthier. And, you know, it's, it's not a, it's not a very scientific way to do it, but just just looking at that, you could see the results compared to, I think she was just doing some easy long runs during the week, and so she changed the high-intensity stuff. And um, So I started to add some of that into yeah, into my running program and also into my swimming just with those 25 all-out sprints. And, um, yeah, it just, uh, just feel so much better after it. 
And, and one thing you mentioned as well is how you sort of got the injury was when you stopped swimming. Well, I, for the first time in probably, I don't think I've ever taken two weeks off swimming completely, but in the last two weeks I did because I finished the Ironman and then we had our Masters Nationals uh, for swimming here. So I just took two weeks off completely and I've surfed every day and just had a break. And I got in, in the water two days ago for the first time in two weeks and I was so sore with like shoulders um, back everything it just it did not feel good and it's just funny how quickly it can change when you stop doing something like two weeks and and, and I, you know I was coming from a, a pretty reasonable fitness base but two weeks and I, I just felt like absolute crap in the water yeah yeah that's that that is the thing I think uh, with shoulder injuries is they it, sometimes it is when you take a break and a lot of times it's when you take a break and then you come back and you sort of resume what you were doing before which your body isn't ready for and then your shoulders are so complex. There's so many things going on with rotator cuff and all the different uh, tendons there that, that things can go wrong. And I, I think, um, you know, for, for me, it, it partly also, I do, I wanted to mention that it, it partly had to do, or it has to do with sitting at a desk a lot. Like I, even though I try to really work on my posture when I'm sitting, it's still sitting. It's still not ideal position. And right now when we're doing this interview, I'm standing because I, I stand as much as I can now, but I think that the sitting and then, um, I used to sleep on my stomach every night and apparently that's really bad. I didn't even know it before, but it kind of puts your shoulders in a position where you're, you're, they're kind of forward all night. And eventually that puts a lot of pressure on. So I think the combination of what I had done with all the swimming I did growing up, the overtraining, you know, complete overtraining, there was a, a time uh, we were, I was talking to some of my college buddies last weekend and we were talking about how we did, there was one week where we did a hundred thousand yards in one week. And I mean, it was just completely way overtraining. There was no reason to do that other than just to say we did it. But, um, but stuff like that is what I think accumulates over the years. And then if you take a break, I think your shoulders start to kind of freeze up almost and things aren't, don't work as well. And then you go back to swimming and it's like, it's way harder. And then you have the that, you know, all these little things, these little, uh, tendonitis and things like that, that can, that can kind of build up and add up and then pretty soon you're sidelined. So, yeah, that's right. I, I used to do a hundred hundreds with, um, with my master's squad once a year as part of our whole week training that we do. And then yeah. after two or three years, I, I just looked at it and I thought, it, no one's getting any benefit from this. It's great to tick it off the list and go, I'm tough. I can do this. But Apart from that, I mean, it's just, it sort of sends you backwards for the next couple of days while you recover from it. And yeah. it just cannot be good for your shoulders, especially, you know, if you're 30, 40, 50 years old and you, you know, and you're not used to that sort of volume. It's just, um, it's not a smart thing to do. So we, we stopped doing that and we, I really sort of made the whole week about higher intensity type of work and, um, and we, we made it a lot more fun than 100 hundreds. So it's, <laughs> um, good. yeah, it's like, yeah, there's, sometimes I think, and I know I used to do this is sometimes it's, it's about doing workouts where you, you know, you've, you've, you're mentally tougher for it. That can be good, but only to a certain point. Um, you don't want to be stupid right. with it, especially as an, you know, as an adult or a master swimmer or, uh, or an age group triathlete, you've got to, um, got to be smart about those things. And, you know, sometimes it can be all right to do that things with the, with the younger kids because they can, bounce back from it after two days but um yeah no yeah. not with the um not with most adults i don't think it uh yeah i think as soon as i sort of turned 18 it, my recovery time from a hard workout or or a big night out you know it, it, it doubled and i think it's sort of doubled every year since then i reckon <laughs> it's just yep. uh, so much hard to come back from it 
Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely the same the same way. <laughs> Especially those hard night, hard, those those big nights out. Those don't happen anymore. <laughs> no, it's just you just look at uh, or you just imagine how you're going to feel the next day and go, nah, not worth it. I'd prefer right. to have a good day tomorrow than be feeling sorry for myself for the next 24 or 36 hours because yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Back back in uh, at university, it was fine, but uh, not any. Not anymore. And then, you know, maybe once a year I'll um, I'll go out and stay out late and, and have a big night. But I always regret it the next day. So this is this is the day that I'm not that I'm going to stop drinking forever. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. at least limit it because it's um, it's just not good for you. And I had a, um, a sleep specialist on um, on the podcast a few episodes ago, and he said that one of the one of the main things that stops someone from having a, a deep night's sleep is, is alcohol. Even one drink, if you have it you know, around dinner time, more than likely you're going to be getting up at 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning and needing to go to the toilet because that's what time your liver processes the alcohol. And yeah. last week I had, I had one, one or two drinks yeah, at night and then I just slept. I didn't sleep well at all. I just couldn't get into that, that deep sleep. And um, so now I just, I just try and avoid it at all costs at, at night because you know, you just, it's going to impact your day. And, and if you're feeling 70% of, of what you should be, it's, um, and you're needing to do a lot of work or if I'm running clinics, it's just, it's just not worth it to have that drink at night to sacrifice a good night's sleep. You, you just drink in the morning now, right? Yeah, that's right. So as we're, uh, as we're sitting here, it's eight forty-six in the morning and I've got my, uh, I've got my chocolate milkshake with some Baileys in it and uh, yeah. it's going to be a good day ahead. That's right. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and, and you also said that you pay a lot more attention to your diet now that you, um, you know, that you can't sort of do as much, I guess, training as, as you would normally do and you can't swim. I, I think that's, um, if you can keep your weight down or keep your weight at a normal level when, you know, without doing these huge workouts, you know, you, you got to be eating well. Cause I, I think for, for a lot of years, I probably, um, made up for the, bad eating I was doing by the amount of work, the tr- amount of training I was doing and, and even still to, to a certain extent. But, um, yeah, if you can, if you can stay at a healthy weight range while just doing a, a, a small amount of exercise or a basic amount of exercise, it's, um, you've, you've got to be doing well that way because as, as a triathlete or a swimmer, you just do so many, you know, so many Ks on the bike or running or, or swimming that it's, yeah, you just sort of, um, can mask the bad eating that you do and when you do stop that's when you gain a couple of kilos and you realize that what you're eating is not good for you yeah oh yeah definitely like that's one thing i've really focused on you know with both with with coaching and with myself is is the nutrition and and it's you know it's one of those things where it is more important actually to eat well than to exercise well because you can, uh, and that's one thing, it's a, it's a myth in endurance sports and, you know, especially in triathlon that you just work, you work really hard and then you can just eat whatever you want. And it's just, it never, it does not work out like that. Um, there's so many examples of it not working out and it's not just gaining weight. I mean, that's definitely a part of it because it's going to be hard to lose weight. Even if you're doing, like if you're training for Ironman, um, the guy that the, there was a guy a, a few years ago that won the biggest loser, the TV show where they have these people all in the same house and they're all trying to lose weight. They're all, you know, obese and they're trying to lose as much weight as they can. And then the one that loses the most gets the, you know, they win. Well, this guy won and he then, um, this is like maybe a, a year or two later, he decided to enter an Ironman and 
he was a big guy. Even, you know, after the show, he said he gained a lot of weight back because they do a lot of tricks to lose weight that don't really last. But anyway, he, he was training for this Ironman and, uh, he said that absolutely iron, training for an Ironman is not a good way to lose weight if that's what your goal is. Cause he said he was, his weight was the same. Like he would go out on a hundred mile bike rides and come, you know, come back and just, he just couldn't eat enough calories to, to keep his energy up. So I just, you know, I just want to emphasize that, um, that the, the nutrition is, is so important. And there's a guy, Vince Sesto, who's in, a, a trisome coach ambassador and he's actually down in uh, Melbourne. Yeah. yeah and you know, Vince. Yeah, that's right. And so he did this sugar-free uh, training and he just decided to cut out all sugar. And, you know, his times were so much faster and he said he just felt way better. And, you know, it really, it really shows that, that paying attention to the nutrition is, it's going to pay off in huge ways, not, and, and not just being in shape, looking better, but also the, um, you know, stuff like that, like not getting sick, not getting injured as much. And, uh, and then, uh, what was it? There was one other thing I was going to mention. Um, I read this book recently called Grain Brain. So all these grains that we're eating, uh, there's a lot of evidence that's showing that, you know, it's not just that they're making us fatter. They're also, you know, doing stuff to our brains that are not so good for future for things like Alzheimer's. I mean, I don't know if there's a direct correlation, but the book uh, lays out a pretty good case to, you know, pretty much stay away from grains, you know, at all costs. And so uh, I think the more that we can do that, the better we're going to be in, in every way. Yeah, and, and I think if you can do two things, and, and that's get more sleep and or you know get at least seven and a half hours a night and just eat well, you, you're just going to feel so much better. Because, I mean, I, well, I made that change um, was it, probably um, two months ago. I Now I'm, pretty much every night I'm getting at least seven and a half hours sleep compared to five to six. And, yeah. and my just... I guess you call it levels. I guess my level of happiness is is a lot higher, and not like I was sad before or anything, but just just waking up and not feeling like I need to go straight back to bed and not going to the fridge to sort of feed my tiredness um, has made such a huge difference. And I found that because of that extra sleep, I'm now eating a lot better. And now that I'm eating a lot better, I'm feeling a lot better throughout the day as well, and I'm, I'm not um, not craving the the sugary stuff and 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 I've sort of cut out most most sort of breads and grains as well, and um, more for the reason that I find that I I probably keep a few extra you know, an, an extra kilo or two on when I do eat yeah eat, eat bread, so um, it's it's more just for for that reason. But um, I think just making the change with those two things they're so fundamental to someone's um, health and and well being that. It, um, it just has such a huge impact and, and that's what I've felt for the last couple of months when I've made this change and um, and again the the sleep uh, the sleep coach who I had on was um, was just really good for making me aware of it because he one of the things he's got is these it's kind of like a fitbit but you know you, you, you wear it it's just a, a watch and it's it's like a medical grade sort of sleep tracker and then you can plug it in after two weeks and you can download all the the data from it and it it kind of reads your effectiveness throughout the day. So I guess just your, your mental awareness throughout the day. Um, and it's all just sort of calculated from this, this program that they've got. Um, but, you know, if you look at the data, you can, it pretty much correlates with how you feel throughout the day. And on the nights where I was getting five to six hours sleep, my effectiveness throughout the day was, was definitely much lower than when I got two good nights sleep in a row. And, um, wow. and it just really sort of opened my eyes as to, 
how, yeah, just how much lack of sleep was affecting my day. So since then, I've really tried to um, to turn it around. And I'll even um, sort of not skip a workout in the morning, but if I've got a training session organized at maybe six o'clock, sometimes I'll just take that extra hour of sleep and then do the workout that little bit later, just so that I get that that full sleep because I know throughout the day it's going to come to come back to bite me if I don't. So I've been, I've sort of changed to, uh, it's, it's okay to actually get a bit of a sleep in, get that right. And then the rest of the day is going to be a whole lot better for it. Yeah. I, I mean, I a hundred percent agree. It's, you can't cheat sleep. There's no way to do it. It's like, even, even those people that I, you know, I've read about, you know, some people will say, Oh, I can, I can get by in six hours. I'm totally fine. But what's going on inside is probably not totally fine. So I, I I totally agree. Like if you know at this point I need to get that seven and a half, or you know I just don't feel right, and then things don't go as well during the day, and then workouts are skipped, eating is not as healthy, and yeah, everything kind of depends on that sleep. So I think that's a good starting point for all this, really. Yeah, and I think um, uh, Ariana Huffington she wrote a book about this. I can't remember the name of it, but um, I was listening to a, a podcast or an interview with her, and she said she said something like five percent of people can get away with very little sleep, you know, five hours, six hours sleep a night. But for 95% of the population, they really need to be getting more more sleep. So it's, right. um, yeah, I've, I've sort of probably harped on, on on this thing for a while for the last couple of podcasts, but I just think it's so, so important. And um, I, I know just what what a benefit it's, it's had for, for how I've felt for the last couple of months. Um, uh, any sort of any last words for triathletes listening to this? So, what what would you recommend to someone? What tips would you give them if they're um, a bit frustrated with their swimming and, and they're not making the improvements that they feel like they're, they're putting in the work for? Yeah, I mean, other than the stuff that we just talked about, like sleep and nutrition, I mean, those are those are kind of the fundamentals. But but getting to the swimming, it's yeah, it's really going to be, if you're frustrated with where you are now, um, it's really going to be going back. And, uh, I know people don't want to hear this, but it's going back to the basics and, you know, going through the basic drills. I mean, there's, you know, the, the balance drills, you know, being balanced in the water, making sure that you're doing the hip rotation. And then of course the high elbow pull that we talked about, like all those things are what's going to set you up to, to be able to go faster. Cause probably if you're frustrated where you are now, you probably hit your ceiling or your limit in terms of how fast you're going to go based on the stroke that you have. So the, so training more or training harder, even if you're doing the, the high intensity workouts and all that, you may not go any faster just because your stroke is sort of stopping you from, from, uh, you know, getting to that next level. So I would just go back and start kind of start over with your stroke. And I used to compare it to bowling because I used to bowl <laughs> back a long time ago. And you, you know, I used to have this straight, like I just, throw the ball down the lane and it would just go straight. And I got pretty good at that. Like I got to a point where I was like, I think my average is like 180, which is, you know, not, not bad, but I, I to get over that 200, I would, I would have to develop a curve uh, in my, in my um, stroke. So it's kind of like, that's how swimming is. You can get, you can only go so far with, you know, doing what you're doing. So it's just a matter of stepping back and going, okay, what, you know, let's go back to the basics and see what can be improved. And then also like, you know, I think uh, you also, you know, I offer the the um, stroke critiques. If you send in your video to, to us, we will critique your stroke and tell you, kind of give you some tips and stuff like that. I think, Brent, you have the same kind of program on your site. So, you know, just finding a coach. And if it's not in your local area, you, you can send it to someone, you know, one of us and 
we'll give you uh, we'll give you some tips and point you in the right direction. Awesome. And where can people get in touch with you? Yeah, uh, the website is trisomcoach.com, and we have five free lessons. So if you want to sign up for that, there's five free triathlon swimming lessons that we give you kind of a step-by-step process to kind of get your stroke off in the right direction there. Awesome. Kevin, great to have you on the podcast again and uh, really enjoyed chatting. And it was good to meet in San Diego a few months ago because, uh, yeah, yeah, it's just, it's, you know, sort of known you through, through what you do. And then obviously being on the podcast, exchanged a few emails and stuff, but then to, uh, yeah, to meet in person is always nice. And um, yeah, I'm hoping to get back over there next year and, uh, and catch up again soon. Yeah, man, it's great being on this podcast. I I love chatting with you and, you know, it's great meeting here and maybe we can, uh, Put together like a humongous swim clinic someday. That'd be good in uh, San Diego at Alga Norte Pool. There, that that pool is so nice. I could uh, swim there every day. Yeah, it, yeah, it sounds, sounds. Yeah, it's a little bit sort of north of where you are, isn't it? It's probably about th- probably forty minutes drive for you. But um, yeah, it's a beautiful spot there in in uh, San Diego. A lot warmer than Melbourne. I mean, we've got some great pools here, but not we haven't got the weather that you guys do there. It's, That's right. Um, I loved yeah. it in San yeah, Diego. I- yeah, yeah, we have a pretty, we have a pretty good here. We're, we're getting it's May, so we get May gray. So it's usually like it's overcast like most of the day a lot of times. But you know, it'll in about a month it'll be back to sunny every day. So not too bad. Yeah, yeah, it's a good spot. Well, Kevin, thanks again, and uh, we'll talk soon. Cool, thanks, Brent. Talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us on the Effortless Swimming Podcast. To get transcriptions, bonus videos, and to be the first to hear about new episodes, go to swimmingpodcast.com. dot